Well, I mean, it's like the Von Trapp family. My family could have also been Slipknot with the number of people they had. Because <laughs> there were you nine of us. Have we could have been yeah. Slipknot. Like, I Can think you imagine we had if the, the Von Trapp family were Slipknot, though? That's the whole <laughs> conspiracy. You've got to work a song into this. Yeah. Um, Doa Deer. I'm not going to do Doe. the voice. <laughs> <laughs> I would li- I, you know, I can hear it. And so can you. If you're listening to this, you can hear Doe a deer in Corey Taylor's voice. <laughs> I don't need to give that to Everyone is, can do that. The thing is that. like, wait, is it Corn or Slipknot that did the <gasps> nursery rhymes? That's Corn. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I get That's them iconically com- Corn. I get yeah. them confused all the time. If it sounds like creepy time. children things. Yeah, if it's creepy children shit, it's Corn. corn. You know what really fucks me, actually? like Corey Taylor from Slipknot. I don't know what that means. Because, like, I think actually hearing the mashup of Coming Undone with Genuine's Pony has really fucked me even yeah, more for, like, yeah. figuring out what the fuck has happening. Yeah. Because that's a bop. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, that song that doesn't exist and isn't real. <laughs> I realised I forgot to play Gary Newman's In My Car <laughs> before the episode started. Um, you know what? Um, I feel like we can give that a Again, we don't have to give that to you, listeners. You can hear that in your head. Right? <laughs> oh, you can look it up. <laughs> Sam didn't know what it was. Really? Here in my car, I feel safe and secure. No, I don't know that song. When he said <laughs> that, I, cars, don't, don't, I thought he was talking about the David Hasselhoff song. Like, slaps. get him, jump in my car. I'm going to take you home. See, here's oh, the thing. I don't wow. know that song. Which is, is that great. one of those really, really creepy songs? Yeah, 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 just yeah like, don't look at the lyrics too closely. Those, get out of my dreams and into my no, wait, car. That's, oh, wait, who isn't, wrote that? That's get the, into the That's the David Hasselhoff one. Yeah. I was getting confused. into my van. It's not van, but it is. It definitely implies van. <laughs> Get out of yeah. my dreams and into my car. Into my car with the energy of van. Yeah. <laughs> tinted. Tinted car. The darkest legal tint. Do you reckon that like Captain Von Trapp would have been disappointed that his kids weren't Slipknot? Do you think? <laughs> After all the years of Well, this is related to the same when we were talking about Stravinsky in the music episode. We yeah. were like, they were just like, Metal listeners have always existed, but just never have a way of expressing <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, yes, yeah, the I mean, like they, they wanted they were, they were to write ex- like new metal teens <laughs> in the in the Von Trapp family. You know? I would like to think that they did go on a bit of an alt trajectory for a bit, but then they came yeah. back to their sort of roots again. Yeah, kind of like how like, like a number of I was about to say like the Wiggles, but they've never gone back <laughs> so to being when the cockroaches. You're 16, you know the Wiggles. Well, that face. was the Nazi that you sang that. So bang your head. Wait. Really? The young- oh, is that from Sound of Music? Yeah. Okay. I get yeah. that. Con- I get that song confused with us. Uh, not Spirited Away. Um, no, but it's not the Nazi singing in the rain. It, It's the Nazi sympathizing sixteen-year-old idiot. Yeah, but he joins. He joins the like the either the youth. No, no, no. But it, he's not one of the sons. He's <laughs> like the boyfriend 16. of the elder no, I know. Nazis. Yeah. Uh. That's why I'm saying he's a Nazi because the whole Von Trapp family is not Nazis. It's the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's not singing that. She is. That's her song. No, but they both sing it. Oh, it's a duet. It's a duet. Oh, because a he goes, I am 17 going on 18. And it's gross. It gets really gross. I, it's not great. It gets icky. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot can be said. Um, uh, there's, yeah, there's elements. I mean, he does let them go. So, like, he's not. He's a Nazi. He's still a Nazi. <laughs> Therefore <Yeah>. must die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's foreshadowing. Here in my car. I feel... I do feel like... <laughs> Thank you.
the thing about Gary Newman is <laughs> <laughs> he's also an airline pilot. Stop. Imagine that. <laughs> the number plate of this car is 114. It's not. It's 144. <laughs> I can see it on the front. Can any of you listeners see the numbers? <laughs> Please clarify. <laughs> Who do you believe? <laughs> I'm going to say they believe me and Sam because that's because of democracy. <laughs> Majoritarianism. <laughs> anyway. Uh, hi, G- guys. Welcome to the Music and Everything podcast. Once again, my name is Jim. Like it is every other day. <laughs> once and again. And I'm here once again. Fucking, I got to just get out of bed and drag myself through another pile of gym every <laughs> god day in day out wind up the gym <laughs> hi sams hello hi welcome hi, to everybody. the both of you to once again your house <laughs> where we record this um we're talking today about a topic that i have actual i have actual friends okay believe me okay <laughs> i have actual have human friends. for stop i have actual human friends uh who are really into this oh like genuinely really into this and i have in the past very recently uh, mocked them for it. Uh, mm. And so I hope to take that back and get my feelings hurt today because we're talking about <laughs> cars. Cars, vehicles. Motor vehicles. Automobiles. Yes. What other words can we use to refer to cars? Um, <laughs> roly boys. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're talking from, from. about roly boys. Uh, <laughs> and wrong. this is a, something that like, some people get really passionate about. This. Yes. this is one of those really fun ones because the entire mission statement of the podcast when we first started was trying to get our heads around stuff that uh, people are passionate and excited about and sort of find some excitement in it ourselves as well. So this one is this one is perfect. Yes. Because people go fucking eyeballs deep into <laughs> this topic. Yeah, and they do it from so many different angles, which I think is really fascinating that like so your friends yes. that you allegedly have. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um let's for the sake of conversation assume that it's true. <laughs> that yeah. is true. Um what angle do you are they approaching this? Is it is it like f- racing? Is it like F1? Or yes is it like- and no, because it's like the, you know, lots of racing into racing, loves watching it, but mm. also just likes the vroom vroom. You know okay, what I mean? Okay, okay, like, cool. It makes a brap and also yeah, looks okay. really nice. Of course, yeah. So it's like, for so example- from both angles, because that's, that's- I have a mate that's big into cars that is really excited about electric vehicles and a mate that's big into cars that is really not excited about electric vehicles <laughs> and hates that it doesn't have a brap. Um, mm. Wants the vroom vroom. He wants the vroom vroom. Yeah, because that's. I think that was the thing that was perhaps most interesting about doing the research for this episode was mm-hmm. like that I have friends in my office really? who... L- yes, I do. For the sake of conversation. <laughs> who believe <laughs> okay, that. Yeah, okay. um, I'm choosing to believe you. That loves Formula One, like goes right, to okay. the finals, like goes to Melbourne to see the finals, loves Formula One. This is a new new thing. Can you see Formula One? I mean, it's like... It's, it's <laughs> you you mainly of, hear it, You're in a static position. Yeah, you see it go past you. As things go yeah. past you and then someone wins. Yep. Yay! Yep. I assume there's beers. Uh, well, yeah, the people who win are generally quite attractive, Jim. Are they really? The, oh, oh. There's oh. a dimension Samantha's not described. Yeah, oh. and we'll get to it because like, I think we should <laughs> maybe is... start at the beginning. Well, they're race car drivers. They're so race car drivers. Are you kidding me? Have yeah. you not? S- I'll show you photos. Don't you worry. All right. Um, Max von Stappen, Charles Leclerc. I'll show you photos. They're fine as hell. They're fine as hell. Okay, right. Okay. Um, so there's that angle because I think that there's a lot of um, 
it's something that you like it happens really quick and it's quite dangerous and it's kind of got all this excitement and, and the loud. drivers it's loud and yeah. the drivers are hot the other side of it is what what i was introduced into so i've got some experience with this mm-hmm. topic already because my grandfather is the president of the Buicks Club of the United States, of the United States <laughs> of America. America. It was such a long pause. <laughs> of the Buicks Club of Queensland. So right. Buicks are a kind of car. He collects Buicks. Gorgeous, gorgeous cars. They're so they're beautiful. Arousing. They're beautiful. So I come at it from excuse like, me. <laughs> they're beautiful. Just, is what I'm I was saying. Just come on, run yeah. straight over that. Um, I'm going to be using a lot of car puns today. Run straight over. Yeah. yeah okay. So just like we're really going to get into the. Um, I'm going to reverse over the head of that, <laughs> and I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> yes. That's more um, a homicide reference than a car reference. Yeah, that was like a hit and run situation. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, that's good. Oh um, lord. From the vintage car angle, from the restoration antique mm. side, where people really appreciate. These sort of older models of cars, they have these classic styles and Mm -hmm. classic features that are really aesthetic and have all these very dangerous attributes as well. I just (laughs) really... (laughs) They're very dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. So there's another another dimension uh, to like sort of general attitudes to cars as well. Like, so there's kind of, you know, like a lot of people that I know who uh, really care about their cars. They're really excited by the cars. They would Mm. want to keep it clean. Uh, They would it be excited to learn how to take care of it themselves? They're kind of they're into it. Even It's not a sports car or anything. It's just like an old Holden or something, but they're, they're looking after it. And then uh, there's me, who um, has our lovely 2008 Kia Rio, oh, uh, which is Rio, a utilitarian approach. To yeah, cars. it's just like, and, and you know, people say, it's like, oh my God, you're going to clean this at some point? It's like, why? why? <laughs> it moves. It moves <laughs> from A to B. I only do the first part of the alphabet. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I want to preserve our car for as long as possible. So I love, I love him. But it's like you love it from a point of view of like, hey, I, I drive a car. And the same way, it's like for me, I have a car because I need to get places. Yes. I don't have a car for pleasure. Yes. And <laughs> I, I think, like, but I, I think that there's a really good way to sort of enter into this because most people have a car. Uh, statistically. In, in Australia? In Australia. Or, okay, yeah. Most people in America have two. Like, based on the statistics, they have, like, more cars than people. Yeah, I think Australia there. is something like 1.8 or something. Yeah, like, like, we, really? yeah, yeah. like a lot. I mean, okay, so I, I feel like it makes sense here, particularly in Brizzy, where it's mm. like our public transport is A, one of the most expensive in the world, and B, shithouse. So it's like, it's one of those ones where it's like, you know, we, we, we if you were in fucking Copenhagen, you know, and you yeah. had this beautiful public transport system, you wouldn't mind paying a few extra fucking euro for it because it's been created and kept. And ours is like really expensive and fucked. So it's like, I get why you would have a car in a place like Brisbane. Like here, yeah. But it's like, I think, so cars are sort of dominate the entire way that we kind of get around, right? Because it's not even, even if you don't have a car, you still have to deal with the fact that people have cars. Yeah. Roads, the way that our cities are uh, set up, the way that our systems are in place, kind of the idea of like pedestrian um, access, sidewalks, all of the streets are dominated by this, these vehicles, which when we're not using them are very, very heavy pieces of metal. Mm. And when we are using them, have all of these all these features that make our lives like more comfortable and easier and get us from A to B. They're great. Where did they come from? Because, and I, I love that preamble you just gave because, you know, think about Brisbane. The reason why it's more convenient to own a car is, as you said, the public transport is difficult. But why 
is the public transport difficult? It's because the city sprawled out to an... It's known kind of colloquially sometimes as the 100-mile city because of the greater Brisbane area. It's just so big. Right. And that sprawl is partly due to um, a reliance on cars. And in fact, institutional reliance on cars where the city began to be made around them mm. rather than like Copenhagen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Built and around like different they priorities. literally ripped up tram tracks yeah, in the city like because they Brisbane. were like... Yeah. They were like, well, we're going to have cars. We don't need these anymore. And could you imagine how much better it would be in Brisbane if there were trams I kind of around the place? Just to to see a world, particularly in Australia, that you know, if we didn't have institutionalized corruption and short sightedness in government, <laughs> I would just love that. We, the short sightedness mm, in Australian government is fucking amazing. It's, love it's that. honestly a sight to see. It's like the ninth wonder of the world. Mm. Um, <laughs> okay. How many world wonders are there? Do you eight. Think? Oh. That's the joke. There are only eight. There are only eight. Only eight. Well, it's Ancient <laughs> wonders of the world. This is just a book that someone published. It was basically just like one of those listicle This is like books. the wedding thing all over again. <laughs> like, on your third anniversary, you have to get her the Hanging Garden of Babylon. <laughs> Machu I mean, Picchu I would love that. Yeah. I would um, love Machu Picchu for my fourth wedding anniversary, Sam. Yeah, it's not ours to give. That is true. <laughs> that is very true. Okay, so to I, the think, point. I think we might... Go all the way to the beginning. To the beginning. Of time. Okay. Um, so, cars, they had to be made. They are not naturally occurring no. things. I just want to make that clear. No one just case- opened a cave and go like, oh my God. In case anyone is confused, mm-hmm. we made cars. When did we do it? When did we make cars, When did we Sam? make cars? You don't want to guess? You don't want to guess when car was made? Uh, the first motor vehicle. The most, yes. Um, the answer is Neanderthal times. <laughs> Absolutely it is. They were very, very intelligent and yes. they, they developed. No, it was in 1886. 1886? Carl- yeah. Interestingly, that's about the ballpark of when yes. I was going to throw one out. The but I decided so, to try and be funny. We should, we should probably spell out here that like cars, like this is a term that we're using now kind of retrospectively and kind of going, what was the first car that is kind of a car as we know it? Mm. Like an automobile. Um, yeah, well, automobile, like things that are made to move by other means have been happening for a long time. Yeah, horse and cart. Um, well, yeah, and or also like horse. auto <laughs> ones. Like there was some stuff, like Greek philosophers were building crazy stuff on wheels. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's like party technically... Barge. Party boat. Yeah. <laughs> party. party bus. Party bus, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like, you know, the, the car as we know it is there because it's the of the engine. Yes, the engine. Um, so, Carl Benz of, ah, as we yes. might know, Mercedes-Benz ah, fame, yes. uh, developed the first, world's first automobile. Mm-hmm. It was a powered by a gas engine and it was three-wheeled. Three-wheel? It wheel? was a tricycle. It was That's a tricycle. Fun. Where was the third wheel? Back or front? I think it was two at the back, one at the front. All right, so it's like a motor trike. Yeah. I'm here <laughs> for and that. it brum, was brum. a one-cylinder engine, and I'll explain that mm-hmm. concept of what an engine is and cylinders at some point. Um, and I can't promise it'll happen <laughs> Not today. Not on this episode. Not on this episode, but it'll happen at some point. It had less than one horsepower. And its top speed. What do you reckon its top speed was? How fast did this go? I needed in miles per hour. Miles per hour? But I don't know what those are. No, me neither. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think to convert it. Five miles mm. per well, hour. Well, they're quite close. When they're low numbers, they're quite easy because they're very close numbers. Because Yeah. Anyway. Um, what do you mean? What? So, yeah, like it, five miles. It wouldn't be much more than five or much fewer than five. Like what Ks. Are you-, are you saying miles to Ks? Yes, miles to Ks. What? Right. Are you saying that the bigger the oh, number is? Oh, you want me to guess? Yes. Um, one. <laughs> Ten miles per hour. Ten miles Much faster hour. than I said. Wow. Wow. Well, it's faster than walking, so that's nice. Yes. 
Yes. And you were in a tricycle. tricycle. And you were in a tricycle. So apparently he, he made, put it in a tricycle because it was kind of the fashion of the time. Because tricycle, uh, pedal tricycles and stuff were becoming a bit of a fashionable thing so in the 1880s London. So it was just hip. So they just it was hip, hip, yeah. He wanted to move product. Yes. Well, marketing is a big thing when it comes to vehicles. And he lied about the engine. He was just running it with his feet, like Flintstone <laughs> style. Bucket, bucket, it bucket, seems bucket, like bucket, he could have. Uh, I mean, maybe. I mean, less than 10 miles horse. an hour, dude could move. Yeah, he was really, he was really rocking and along. Um, and then it's, um, we're going to hear some big names very early on. So in 1900, Porsche enters okay. the scene. Right. And Porsche is obviously a luxury car brand, as okay. we all know. Yes. Um, and they actually made the first hybrid car. In 1900. Hybrid cars. Oh, yes. So, important information. Electric cars predate the internal combustion engine. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> Don't do that. You got it. Okay, we should have started the episode with that. I just got it nah, out of the way. No, I just... I, I really wanted... I, thank you, Sam. I was hoping you would do that. Because, like... So I was going like, to say, like, a hybrid vehicle. It's like it's half, like... Horse. Petrol power, <laughs> and then there's a horse attached to it. Yes. <laughs> Yes. You're essentially chasing a horse. Yes. <laughs> the horse is terrifying. So, this yes. is very cruel. The, yeah. So they so they invented. I, I'm pretty sure there was a some steam powered vehicles yeah, first. Steam cars were actually dominant up until like the 1910s, I think. Yes. So and so a steam, it's just another kind of um, engine, but it's not internal combustion. And obviously, it was really difficult because you'd have to. It would run out of steam, and you'd have to kind of get the fire going again and create more steam so that it would move. Well, from steam engines, yeah. Steam engines of any kind. Look, I may be doing my PhD, but but I'm not smart. (laughs) They were actually kind of like the preferred cars of the time for a a lot of the early period. Steam car. Steam car. A car with a fire inside, but like an uncontrolled fire. (laughs) Yeah, an open fire. An open fire. Open fire. This Porsche, (laughs) this Porsche, the loner Porsche, how much do you think it cost in our money? Like our times. Five money. miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, five thousand dollars. AUD twenty twenty. Yeah, Australian dollars. <laughs> no, it ranged from ninety-one thousand dollars in our money. So it would have been two and a half, two and a half thousand dollars their their money, but that's the equivalent oh, to okay. two hundred and sixteen thousand dollars. So we're talking these are like Tesla prices. Like. Yeah, well, <laughs> Tesla's not even that expensive. Oh, yeah, but okay, so the context of this as well is that cars in this era, like. Put out of your mind cars as practical, the 2008 Kia Rio so described. <laughs> there's no like, utility car. There's no utility car. These, these cars are expensive and they're also, they don't, remember that roads aren't ready for cars yet. These things are recreational vehicles. They are cars for pleasure. 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 Like they are for the rich and they are for screwing around. Um, uh, so well, of course they're that expensive. Yeah, now I'm against handmade. it. Now, <laughs> cars up until this point, it's been a man's game. They've been making the cars. Yep. And then- Man. In 1903, a woman invents the windshield wiper. Oh, wow. So, I'm going to do a little tangent now. Okay. Because there was an ad that was released recently that was very, very funny for International Women's Day where uh, I can't remember which car brand it was, but they did an ad where they were basically selling a car basically made only by men, which meant that it lacked some key features. Right. Because women invented some of the most important aspects of cars. So, so women brought two motor vehicles. Safety. Safety. <laughs> so what did they invent? They invented the windshield wiper in 1903. The interesting thing about this one, Mary Anderson, she patented it. It's a rubber blade system that we still use today. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same. Removes snow, slate, whatever. What did they use before then? They didn't have them. They just leaned out the window. They just stopped. They just didn't. They just couldn't drive in the rain. I they guess they gave their hat a their hat. They gave their car a big hat. 
like a yeah. big top hat with a big brim, and they yes. had to empty the water out exactly. of it after the drive. Um, but no one was interested in it until 1922. It took two decades for them to go. Maybe we should put that on no. a car. No, you know what? No, I don't need it. I'm, yes. It's fine as is. Why change? Bertha Benz. Bertha Benz. Yes. The wife of Carl Benz mm-hmm. invented brake pads. She invented brake pads. It's really cool. Okay, so... Feel free to go on a tangent about Bertha because she's interesting. is is interesting because this is... So basically, like, the reason why we think the Benz patent motorwagen was kind of canonically the first car is basically because of this very um, impressive sort of PR stunt. (laughs) So Bertha, unbeknownst to her husband, Carl, took the car... Which is basically like it's basically like, take the prototype out for a drive. Um, so this is the Mark Three um, in 1888. Here's the thing, Carl. It wouldn't stop. Um, <laughs> um, and the goal was to drive this ridiculous drive, 66 miles to another town, and then back to visit family with the kids. She bought the kids. Um, she put the kids. She put the kids oh in God. the car. So this is like I'm going to drive a more than 120-mile journey through the German countryside. Again, no roads. What like, a just gravelly paths. Max speed of 10 miles per hour, okay. which is 16 kilometers per hour, mm-hmm. and a horsepower of two. So this one at least has the power of two horses. However, it's still, when it went up a hill, needed to be pushed. <laughs> That's why she brought the children. <laughs> well, presumably, yes. Great pushes, children. Um, so, of course, this thing was just breaking down all the time. She had to refill it, which she had to go to a chemist to do because there's no petrol stations, obviously. So, they and they have um, things like they had gas. Why is she doing this? Um, and the then... Fun. Just time uh, away from Carl. Yeah, honestly. He's just at home nursing up. Yeah, she took the fucking kids. The, the, um, the, the drive <laughs> chain broke at one point. Uh, she had to get a black... She stopped at a blacksmith. The blacksmith helped to fix it. And this she is She famously where- fixed the, um, fixed the um, one system with a hat pin lodged a hat pin in there to hold it steady and used a bit of ripped garter to um, go around the spark plug. There's your problem, right? (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, the the brakes at that time were just a wooden block Mm -hmm. that was polished. So the wooden block would just push against the wheel and it would just sort of buff it. (laughs) So the wheel would just polish the... Just slow, yeah. And so it would just slide. Um, So she just went to a shoemaker, ran up to the shoemaker, got leather pieces and strapped the leather to the... To the brake piece, yeah. which is which she invented the brake pad in that moment. Right. Yeah. So she basically what happened was that the brakes failed, and so she was just like, "Well, we need something that's going to give grip." And she's otherwise like, "Well, we're not getting this thing. Otherwise, home. we're not getting home." <laughs> so yeah. Um, the other interesting thing about Bertha Benz is well, she's. Do you want to yeah. wait? For, do you want to wait till we get to Henry? <laughs> she was a Nazi. That's, that's the thing. <laughs> oh, 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 <laughs> and like, oh. this won't be the first time this comes up. Anyway, oh, moving on. Oh, no. Florence. Florence Lawrence. When you're That's her six, real name. <laughs> Florence Lawrence. Inven- Florence Lawrence? It's real name. No, I don't know about that. In 1914, invented turn signals and brake lights. No one uses the turn signal, so it, that was useless. Right. Don't need that. Yes. Who uses it? The turn it? signal or indicator. Indicator. And then... I um, find myself saying things out loud in the car sometimes. Where it's like, if somebody, for example, has not indicated... And has simply travelled in front of me, or turned a corner with, and I've nearly have nearly caused an accident. I find myself saying out loud, "If only there was some way I could have known." <laughs> I do the same thing. What you were going to do? Yeah, is it like you could indicate to me? If only there was some <laughs> way that you could have indicated. Um, as some might remember from our coding episode, Hedy Lamar's invention yeah. of the um, frequency hopping technology allowed mm-hmm. for GPS. We love. 
We love GPS. And then Margaret Wilcox in 1893 invented car heating. In 1893. Yeah. They were like, it's fucking cold. It's fine, darling. It's cold. It's fine. <laughs> it's so, only yes. because it's raining. Also, I can't see. <laughs> yeah, so... And we're not stopping for no shit. So just, just to recap, we've got indicators, very yep. useful for safety, brake pads, yep. windshield wipers. Gotcha. I'm fairly certain as well that women were responsible for seatbelts. I could be wrong about that. Please fact check me on that. Please that fact check. That wasn't on my list. list but. I think one of those things, I, d- I don't think that's true because there's that thing where the seatbelt was designed for the male body, body yes. yeah. and there's no kind of like female friendly mm-hmm. seatbelt. That's true. That's accurate. Um, also, yeah, I think I did look into the seatbelt and it's invented by like about a thousand people at a time. Mm. Is it um, one of those times where like everyone was like, we need a way to not die if this car. Yeah. The seatbelt is the Linux. It, it's like, it's, it's <laughs> totally open source. Yeah, no, it was, it was built, it was in many, many stages. Like the initial ones were just like a low strap, like a airplane one, but they were like terrible because mm. um, they just rip, basically wreck you off. They yeah, break your body. Um, yeah, body breaks. They, they don't work. So they invented the three point um, system with the one across the chest. Right. Um, but the whole thing with the locking mechanism and it's embedded in the wall pretty pretty much dates to Volvo in the late 50s. Right. Yeah. Hence Volvo and the safety marketing thing. True, actually, oh. Volvo do have a big safety marketing campaign. Yep. That's like their big branded thing. And so as early as the late 40s, people were trying to get compulsory seatbelts happening, but consumers hated it so much that if cars were shipped with seatbelts, they would have them removed. And the sellers were saying, we can't sell these cars. We cannot sell cars with seatbelts in it. So they must have been really lame or something to the people at the time. Yeah, or that classic contrarian, I'm not wearing a mask because... <laughs> yeah. yeah well, I mean, my, my grandfather has 40s, like 1942 Buicks, which don't have seatbelts in them. Right. Um, and he had to get a special, like essentially like a special consideration to be be able to drive his vintage car without like without adding seatbelts because he's right. like it's not vintage yeah. if it's not if it's got like it's not preserved in that way if you add seatbelts to this it's going to ruin the fact that this is a very high quality so he has to like wrap himself in cling wrap no i mean the, i've been in that car seat, and the, it's a, like a leather bench seat so it's quite slidey yeah. <laughs> in the back of it, but it's, I mean, and it doesn't have power steering or anything. Um, just don't drive it. Just have it. <laughs> no, Why do you I need mean, to drive that? They go on drives. It's gorgeous. I mean, have you not been like driving Clearly and seeing you've never a seen whole, one. <laughs> whole bunch of vintage cars going past you and like a whole like line of like old like muscle cars or like, oh, it's incredible. I, see, the thing is because I'm not toady from the wind in the willows, <gasps> I don't feel the need to say boop, boop every time I see one. <laughs> and so... That's a dated reference. I don't understand uh, at all yeah. what you're saying. Okay. So, Rolls Royces. These are probably the most well-known luxury cars. People talk about Royces as like this very, very luxury car. Okay. They, they came taste onto like the velvet scene. to me. They taste. I just get, ah, oh, it's weird. It's like velvet and bread. Okay. I don't like it. Oh, fuck. Wow. <laughs> Incredible. Okay, ambulance. In 1906, it was introduced as the best car in the world and it was one of the most expensive cars ever made. Right. So, fewer than 8,000 copies... Uh, the bank rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go on, um, Fewer than 8,000 copies of this car, the Silver Ghost, was made between 1907 and 1926. And the chassis alone... So, the chassis is essentially the metal body of the car. Uh-huh. $370,000. <gasps> Today? Today's money. Yeah, I was going right. to say, if it was theirs money, that's like... like yeah. That's a joke. <laughs> that's Can a I country. say the Silver Ghost is the best name for a car ever? It's so dope. Ever? There's this yeah. whole thing where it's like, I, I find myself saying it all the time, where it's like, they don't make them like they used to. Like, yeah, because they weren't look- safe and people died. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, they were making cars like... 
but even mass-produced cars. I'm not even talking about Rolls Royce. Like you just look at like a car, yeah, like a Holden from the 50s, which was like a common Australian car, and. Yeah, like, they're, they're beautiful. They <laughs> are like, beautiful. And there's cars now are just like... But is that... A, are you engaging in a kind of... Uh, like a nostalgia. Nostalgic yeah. narrative yeah, of decline thing of like, oh, look at that beautiful car. When in truth, if you saw it now and it was just how cars were, you probably wouldn't be yeah, saying like, that. Is, is, nice it, is it because they're t- being taken care of as well? They're being polished. They're being, like, ma- maintained because they are these kind of yeah. vintage cars. Or, like, they might not actually technically If you saw the dinged up versions of them driving around all the time, you'd <laughs> yeah. probably... Nah. Yeah, I guess there's a novelty thing. Thing as well. Yeah. 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 So in um now we've we're getting into 1913 and we finally are getting the assembly line. Okay. Henry Ford. Henry Model T Ford. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Is his middle name Model T? No, it's wow. Oh my it's God. from it's, it's from Kunk on Earth. It's very funny. Oh, I see. It's yeah. Philomena Kunk. Yeah. Uh. So he but prior to Henry Ford, cars were made one car at a time. You would make do you would assemble a t- car in totality and then you'd move on to the next one, which is why the number of cars that existed prior to um, prior to this assembly line system that he developed, uh, there weren't many drivers. One, because they were expensive cars, they didn't make that many of them, and only certain people would access the cars to drive them because they were recreational vehicles, essentially. Gotcha. But then Henry Ford, um, but he revolutionizes, and we can't discredit how much he revolutionizes manufacturing practices, industry, and car manufacturer. He, uh, so the assembly line, for people who don't know what an assembly line is, is, is essentially you have a whole bunch of people doing one thing over and over and over again, and through that process, you run down this line and bits are being added by the same person. So one person's adding the wheels, one person's adding this, one person's adding that, and it moves down until the car is made, but you can keep... You can be having like 10 cars going at once. I can only hear what you're saying in the voice of like those educational video newsreel sort of things. Like (laughs) the car is assembled first, but (laughs) this man handles only the door. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It is then inspected for quality. Production time was trimmed to make a car from 12.5 hours to 93 minutes. Wait, 93 minutes? Yeah, so it took an hour and a half to make these cars versus 12 and a half hours to make a car because they had one poor sod who was just socket wrenching in, like, one wheel. And this poor sod is sucking wrenching the wheel. <laughs> so the other thing that came from this is in order to actually, um, because people eventually got bored of this kind of work, assembly line work, it's, like, literally really? tedious work. It's the definition of tedium. So what... It sounds riveting. Uh, the podcast is over. <laughs> you were fired. So not because he cares about his workers, but because a whole bunch of workers quit, Ford introduced a $5 a day, 40-hour work week. So he in, he basically gave them weekends yeah, and, and is- gave them a pay raise so that people would not quit anymore because he essentially production had to halt in like several of his like factories because right. so many okay. people walked off oh, the job. Fucking, if I don't have to do this every day, I'll grind through. I'll just fucking do it. And yeah. then Friday night comes along and it's like, oh, I wish I hadn't done this. <laughs> it's yeah. still not worth it. So um, what this- Henry Ford, responsible for Sunday-itis. <laughs> so what this means is then he also gets a whole bunch of people who are migrating to Detroit, which is where his factories were, to get this job because this is now a fucking lucrative job. Detroit. Uh-huh. Detroit. <laughs> So Detroit. Be- <laughs> Detroit. Detroit. Yeah. So between 1908 and 1927, 15 million Model Ts were built. Gross. 15, 15 million. million Model Ts were built. Why? 
Because they could. Because <laughs> people can buy them. No, because see, this we is couldn't part of turn the... off the conveyor belt. They just kept making them. <laughs> oh my god, somebody <laughs> turn it off. I actually... Invent the weekend so they stop. I actually <laughs> the cars think are just that... piling up at the bottom. <laughs> Production of these vehicles really only ceased at that level once war started because they had to like tilt their focus. Yeah, right. yeah and obviously the governments were stopping the, the production of metal for other stuff. Yes. Mm. Yes. Um, like yeah. the sliced bread machine. Yeah, the sliced bread machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, was so, that yeast episode? It was yeast, yeah. yeah. Um, so the other fun thing about Henry Ford that we... No, bef- wait, before, I just want to say something about the production line because yes. otherwise we'll be far gone. Okay, if we no, okay, that's okay. fair. So the production line is like, why they're producing all these cars is this is, again, this is a big shift because earlier than this, cars are a luxury item. Their, their purpose... Their social purpose is recreation yes. and elite recreation at that. And they're also kind of frowned upon because a car driving through the street is like, get off the road. It was seen as irresponsible. And in fact, in the 1910s, there, were, um, there was an act in Britain, I think called the Red Flag Act, which basically meant that a car could only drive through the London streets if someone stands in front of it with a red flag and gets people out of the way. So it was, they were anti-car legislation. Mm. So put this into context of like Fordism and the Model T. We're going to build 15 million flags. Million of them. And we're going to build them so that everyday people, middle-class people, read middle-class people, can drive where they want to go. Yeah, which reshapes the way cities are designed. It makes streets no longer. So streets prior to this were predominantly for pedestrians. And so people would walk and and this is where we get like jaywalking laws being introduced as well because these roads were now dominated by cars. You couldn't be on the road. Instantly dangerous. And became incredibly dangerous. And so they actually instituted laws to prevent people from using the roads the way that they used to to put cars in the focus. And then that happens even more when we get to the car revolution of the 50s and 60s. Hot take. Yeah. That sucks. It sucks. (laughs) And and I think that that there are examples now today that we can look at where people are, like countries and cities are reversing this practice. And we're seeing the impact that is a positive impact in the way that a walkable city is now becoming the desirable thing. Exactly, yeah. And we're having lots Re- and lots of Ownership of spaces and taking back public spaces. Exactly, like public spaces for people. It's really interesting. There's something that I wasn't aware of, uh, but uh, my wife kind of like has a lot of knowledge about this kind of stuff. And uh, she pointed out that like the response to having a lot of traffic is not to build more roads which, you know, because to me that makes sense. It's yeah. just kind of like there's a lot of people funneling through this area. Let's build some more roads and we'll spread it out. But the response to there being more roads is there's more cars. Mm. That, yes. Statistically, that is that yeah. is true. Because so it's more like, people see they can drive and then they drive. If you want to make traffic better, make better public transport. Yeah. That's the answer. Yeah. And we've done neither of those. Better things. bike infrastructure, <laughs> better accessibility more broadly. Yeah. And like we see that functioning in other Australian cities. They have better public transport infrastructure so fewer mm-hmm. people drive yeah. and then other countries where they have in the city very very few ways that you can drive into the city and so mm-hmm. everyone just walks bikes or whatever. extra wide bike paths yes, exactly. and things like that yeah so, yeah, so like the, it's and it's not just that like so like cars reshape cities but i mean that's that sounds sort of surface level like our oh, cars just change the way our cities are built and public transport works but that's not a small thing. That's our entire lives. Mm. Yeah, that's um, the way we interact with people in the world around us. It's 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 yeah. pretty profound. So a book, um, Walking Home by Ken Greenberg, and he argues that, you know, obviously that like uh, walking around is kind of something that people really like in cities now. But, um, you know, think of it this way, that like when the way cars changed cities was that, and, and especially like sort of suburbs and outer cities, is that instead of the town square being like the the sort of center of your life, 
the car park is. Mm. Uh, like think about it, especially in the suburbs, right? So think about like you're driving to the shops. Yeah. The shops is in front of you. You've got a big wide car park in front. And that's what the streetscape looks like. It looks like signs for shops that are all drive-in shopping centers of large or small. Yeah. And then car parks and roads. That's how we define the center of our public space. That's a bit different in like the CBD because the CBD is like kind of closed off to cars half the time. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to get in there because it, Brisbane was designed as a prison, of course. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but like... Spoilers. <laughs> um, Spoilers. Yeah. But yeah, like it's like, think about how that changes the way we that we think about our everyday lives. Mm. And it's easy to think that that just kind of happened because, oh, we wanted it to, but it was kind of decided by people. It was There were designers who had this modernist vision of like that we should structure cities in this rational way where cars can move in this particular way. Mm. Like it, it's kind of influenced by yeah, ideology. Like people people and, navigate by like fast food drive throughs and shopping centers and all of these like m- yeah. these things that we see on the way when we're driving rather than maybe street names. And I was blown away that apparently in the U S and again, this is, this is like something that, you know, for, for American listeners, this might just be like a, ha ha, how did you not know that? But like when I found out that there were like drive through ATMs, what? <laughs> what? In the US. Why? Because uh, you don't want to get out of your fucking car, Sam. Also, because like parking, it's like the parking situation in America is like even well, worse yeah, than the traffic the situation anywhere. Everywhere. I remember being in Paris one time and I was on the tour bus um, because I'm very famous and important. And I was on the, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was on the tour bus uh, looking across the street and we, everyone's eyes just just drew through the window to this this occurrence happening on the other side, where someone was trying to reverse park their tiny vehicle <laughs> in amongst all these other tiny vehicles on this Paris street, and it just reversed into the car behind, just <laughs> insta- in, and then into the car in front. And just gradually just wedged itself <laughs> into the thing by crashing back and forth between the other two cars. Old mate just hops out the side door, locks, tuk, tuk, just goes inside the building like, <laughs> off nailed to have it. my French day. Uh, like, and Fucking that was nailed it. that yeah. park. <laughs> yes, that's, Beautiful. That's, that's, the, that's the Parisian reverse park mm, technique. Yes. Um, so, yeah, all the rage in Paris. And it does cause rage. Yeah, I can imagine. So Henry T. Ford was a known anti-Semite. Um, oh, for fuck. Um, <laughs> we like, have to flag this. This is like, <sighs> this is kind of common knowledge. I think it was it was very racist, but I don't think it's common I don't knowledge. The extent, know that. the extent to which this goes is not is exciting. So oh, he published an uh, anti-Semitic uh, like newsletter, but he also. Um, uh, there was a book that he had published called The International Jew, The World's uh, Foremost Problem, which was a conspiracy theory book, of course, um, which he was peddling these horrific racist conspiracy theories. Now, this is in the 1920s. And so he was praised by prominent people at the time. Um, and, you know, there's like blurbs on, on like books, so, like on the back of books, it's like got a quote from Neil Gaiman saying a stunning read wonderfully imaginative, Mm -hmm. all right? Imagine having one of those from Heinrich (laughs) Heinrich Himmler, (laughs) head of the SS and architect of the Holocaust, who wrote in 1924 that Ford was one of our most valuable, important, and witty fighters. What a quote. What a quote. (laughs) And then Mm. Adolf Hitler, wasn't he? He's one of the only Americans, like, mentioned in Mein Kampf positively. (laughs) Yes, he is. So, Um, for con... uh, Yeah. And it gets worse than that somehow. Oh. So this is because it has a quote from Adolf Hitler. I so here we go. In 1931, so this is Hitler like running for the president, like trying to get control <laughs> oh. of the government, right? He quote, I regard Henry Ford as my inspiration, <laughs> end quote. Oh, no. <laughs> so yes. Oh, no. Because I feel like that's such an important thing to point out because obviously he is held up as being 
a revolutionary individual in American history Mm -hmm. and in the kind of industry, but he literally was awarded one of the highest medals of honor from Nazi Germany. Same as it ever was. Yeah, so that's important context. Um, It doesn't stop him... Okay, obviously highly influential. Highly influential. For the record... Henry Ford's a cunt. Yeah, but like, fuck that guy, and, and like, there is actually fuck that guy. Um, and isn't isn't um, Brave New World by Aldous Aldous Huxley like literally yeah. meant to be a massive like satirical critique of Henry Ford's sort of like industrial sort of views. vision yeah, and exactly. views, right. industrial um, views of society, yeah. in particular. Yeah. Um, so that brings us neatly to one of the next important now that we've moments. Spat on that coward's name. Yeah. So the next <laughs> important moment is in 1938, uh, where Hitler launches the Volkswagen Beetle because obviously uh, course, the Nazis yeah. had to produce the most adorable car that's ever existed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah but like this is like the ideology of modernism and cars like. And the dark side of this is that these fascists were also right into this stuff. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I, I also kind of just want to use this as a a weird way to kind of shift to talking about, like, the shape that cars have taken over time. Like the sedan the, sort of shape. The sort of, like, the bubbly sort yeah. of cars of, like, the 30s and 40s mm-hmm. and then sort of more of the, like, sleek, like, harsh, boxy cars of the 50s. And then you've got kind of, like, the the fun, like, fin shapes of the 70s, like these like iconic mm. images that we have of cars. I love the way that cars have shifted. And I think that uh, that leans into the appeal of these older cars. Is they have these like kind of very fun shapes, which our cars nowadays just kind of don't. They all look kind of the same. Well, I don't, I don't know if that's true. I mean, like, again, I was in a I was in an electric vehicle recently. My mate who's big into this sort of stuff. Um, I think it was like a a Scandinavian car that's like a company that's like a subsidiary of Volvo or something like that. Mm. Can't remember what it is off the top of my head, which is a shame. And Evolvo, that'd be good. An Evolvo, an Evolvo that's yeah, an Evolvo. Come on, that's man. That's great. That's good. You should hide for money. Marketing. Money, 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 please. <laughs> please. For the, by the Devolvo. Way, we now have a Patreon. So if you, um, a Devolvo is just their like fucking diesel engine, isn't it? Um, no, this is going back. This is a horse and cart. <laughs> yeah. I would love a Devolvo. Uh, but yeah, so this, this vehicle, you know, you fucking unlock it from the outside, all the lights come on and it's all got the like, you know, a brake light that's like a straight line across the back. So it's looking all cyberpunky and it's shit. like Tron. And yeah, and then you get inside of it and it's like, a, it's like a TARDIS. So it's like way bigger <laughs> on the inside than it looks from the outside. All the lights are designed in a certain way to be really sleek and cyberpunky. Like and the Enterprise. Can we mention anymore? Um, like- it is indeed. Uh, it, it, you know what? And it, it handles like Deep Space Nine. Um, <laughs> But no, it was it was really interesting and being inside of it. So it's like even all the sounds that it made were like, you know, it. I think the design is a really huge part of modern cars now, particularly for people that are into cars. I suppose I'm more referring to like the app, like the Kia Rios, the, your, your utility the, your uti- you, yeah. the utility car. Like you literally could compare a Hyundai Getz, a Kia Rio, a Holden Barina. They all have the same shape. But I would say modern stuff, not necessarily, because I, I drive uh, like a new i30. We're like not sponsored by I any I of these cars, yeah. Right, yeah. by the way. We're sponsored by Ford. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you found it was a Nazi. I think, I think that's like just a reminder. <laughs> um, I, I think that like more thought goes into it than, than all that, because like, say, for example, with the, the modern i30 at the front, the look of it now has like this quite broad metal grill mm. on the front. And like, to me, that speaks to at trying to market the vehicle that is like a small little bubbly little car that you're driving around because it's a little family thing. 
uh, to a more masculine audience. Mm. Because mm. It, the first thing I thought when I saw this car, and we just have it again for a utility purpose, was just like, that's really masculine for a small car because it has that. So I reckon there's there's a great deal of kind of marketing stuff that goes into the design of this stuff. Well, we've seen a bit of a beef up of, of small cars as well. Like the Mini, which is like iconically this like really sleek, small mm. um, kind of- guy. Yeah, this small- uh, uh, British-made car, which was actually developed. with Mr. Bean in it. Yeah, it, with it, Mr. Bean. It was actually yeah. developed in response to the Suez Canal crisis. Um, what? what the fuck? <laughs> Just a, guys, um, because so they, it did it because the, the other bigger cars like used to they would conk the canal and you wouldn't <laughs> not, be able to get anything. You don't through. drive in there. <laughs> Stop it. It was worth um, it. It's silly. It was for, worth it for the joke for petrol purposes. Um, but oh, yeah, I see. They, oh, oh, I see. Petrol, oh, I see. Because they're more, they use less petrol. That um, actually that makes anyway. sense because it's what happened. <laughs> so, but they have they. Were, they were these like really small cars and the minis that are being produced now are almost like they've been roided up. Like they're like, yeah. they're that jacked. Is what it looks like. Yeah. They're like jacked minis. Small yeah. kings. Yeah, yeah. Short kings like Short forever. Kings. Um, but they look really bulky and kind of, they were almost going back to that bubbly aesthetic that the, that the Volkswagen yeah. Beetle has. Interesting. But you know, actually, you know what I also find interesting in terms of like what we're talking about, like gender marketing of cars. Yeah. Is that the design of cars also has this an ergonomic thing. Yeah, one, obviously the ergonomic thing where uh, lots of things are just not designed for women, like seatbelts and stuff yeah. like that. But um, for t for our car, for example, the Kia Rio, the I wish we were sponsored by Kia for this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's very, um, it's pretty small. It's small. It's ergonomically tilted towards female drivers. What sports car pedals? Yeah, that's why I often hit the clutch and the brake at the same time and massively like stop the car very fast. He's got a big, big feet. And got a big, big foot. Yeah, because yeah. like, like the pedals of those, 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 especially like uh, Kiryu's and those smaller cars are actually uh, more sports car um, spacing rather than like a- Feels cool. Like a Camry like or something like the Toyota Camry, which has got that wider spacing because okay. it's a big kind of wider car. So is that deliberate- or is that practical? I think it's more just because it's a small car. I don't think they're actually targeting women in that campaign. Right, okay. I think it was more just they didn't have the room to put the pedals further apart. Like there's there's, <laughs> yeah, there's you, limits to these I don't these know, things. but I do know that they design like cars. They design things like this um, with a target audience in mind. Oh, for sure. And if they're designing an affordable hatchback that's got a cute bubbly look um, mm. and the pedals are closer together, I'm just going to assume these things are lining up. You know what's really <laughs> interesting though is that like, you know, as an aside, it kind of ties into a lot of that weird social shit that we have that like certain inanimate, non-gendered <laughs> things uh, have become <laughs> kind so of true. viewed as masculine or feminine. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the idea that, and less now, obviously, because people are just getting better over time. And if anybody <laughs> fucking tells me that Gen Z are worse or pieces of shit, I will fucking yeah, yell I'll fight at them. People. They are so much better than all of us. Anyway, um, narrative of decline sucks. I and agree. I'm not participating. Anyway. I'm yelling at you guys now. <laughs> and you don't, you don't deserve this. <laughs> um, but like the, it's probably less now, but like, you know, previously it's like, if you're a dude that drives a small little car or something like that, that is a, you're a target of derision. Oh, for sure. For that, because like, oh, it's a bitch Or you car. drive a mum car. Or you heaven, drive a mum car. Heaven forbid you drive a mum car, whatever yeah. that looks is like. But the thing is, don't forget that this isn't us just, the mum car idea doesn't come from us critiquing the drivers of cars. It comes from them designing cars for people Yes. So remember, there's this cyclical thing going on here. Yeah. It's not like, oh, it's not we created it as an audience, so not an audience, as consumers yes. or designers created it. It's a circle where yeah. they've like, we've created, co-created the idea of a mum car and a muscle car and a pickup truck and, a, and an Aussie ute. Mm. We've created these, their cultural ideas. And the same, the that same are thing. on cars. The same thing goes into like the smart car 
and electric vehicles as well, there's an image of who that is for and who is the target of that. Totally. And that's reinforced by people who are buying these products as well. Like they, it's like you said, I agree with you. That's what happened to the electric car in the first place. You know, it's like the electric car predated it. Oh They're yeah, that, that fucking nugget that you okay, threw so, at me And also for context, an electric car in 1899, which his name was, its name was, its name, uh, le, oh, the buzzy French. <laughs> Sorry. Never mind. French. What, can I say it? Point it out. La jamais contente. La jamais contente was the first vehicle on the ground to crack 100 kilometers an hour. So the first vehicle to go faster than 100 100 k's was electric. But the thing is, electric cars were seen as kind of feminine. They were seen as very like unfashionable. Can I just say that that's that's literally mirrored today? Yeah, same thing. You know, it's just like electric. It's just. It's bullshit. So You're holding up a, a book. Yeah, no, it's one of my favorite finds from the library. It was a, it's from, I think it's a British. Yeah, it is. Oh, no. Bureau oh, of it's Australian. Bureau of there Transport Economics, Electric Cars, 1974. July 1974. So it's basically a big old lovely, like it looks like typewritten report that is arguing for that we need to uh, create incentives for electric car take up. In 1974. In 1974. It's so depressing. Oh, it it's, we're literally producing the same reports now, <laughs> just over and over again. Yeah. But and it I, won't happen. And I apparently. think that this is really interesting because car usage declines during the war. Yes. Obviously, because resources needed to be like spread to other places. Also, a huge number of people go somewhere else. Yeah, and uh, die not there. here. Um, so what you then have is like a post-war boom, economic boom, uh, you have this sort of cultural revolution that happens in the 50s where... So we're talking post-World War II. Post-World yeah. War II, um, where, like, the nuclear family becomes the centre of everything, suburbanisation mm-hmm. occurs. Um, they actually, for the first time, I think, have 100% employment in some places because yeah, there's just you- so many jobs available because people died. But yeah. also because there's economic <laughs> movement now. And also because while the men were away, the women were working in the factories and they yes. had jobs. And now they don't have jobs because all well, the men came back and yes. they have to go back. Now uh, they are mothers. <laughs> now they're back to being mothers. No, and, like, and they have excellent cars. And the assembly line means something different to the home. What this means is now consumer and industry production stops being about utility and actually starts being an aesthetic thing. So you have not so you have cars being manufactured again. You have because we forgot to mention that the Henry I was going to call it a Henry Model T Ford again. Model <laughs> T Ford uh, is a very basic car. Like it comes in black. There's, no, it's not, it's boxy. It looks, it essentially looks like the back. The back of it is like a car that you would have with a horse, and they've just chucked an engine on the front. Like it's, it's not the most aesthetically, like designed piece of machinery. Right. But the cars that are now being produced in the fifties after the war start having this sort of aesthetic component because now there's more competition. But there's also this drive for a consumer product rather than a utility product. Yeah. And these are two very separate things. And at the same time, this is like, especially because this is driven by the US at this point. You'll notice that all the stuff we've been talking about with early cars was all French and German. Yes. Um, the war happens, that gets thrown off. Ford's in um, Michigan. So, yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden, and the, and the economy in America has gone gangbusters. Yeah. And, and then well, and post-war. Post-war. You got a whole home. bunch of young people as well with expendable income. But also and a desire to... Fuck you, mum and dad. So you know, yeah, I was, you you know, I was trying to yeah. say that like the design of cars and the proliferation of cars is happening at the same time as cities are being rethought and redesigned with a new yeah. philosophy. Okay. Um, that's happening at the same time because they're building the world for cars. So they're building the highways necessary to make the cars. And the more that they do that, the more lanes you add to the freeway, as you said, mm-hmm. the more people want to want to drive. 
The more they buy the car. The more they buy the car. Also, and then it becomes a cultural thing that, mm. that becomes has competition for aesthetics. Yeah. Because also, like, back in, in the 50s and stuff, you could have, you could, like, sustain a family, a four-person family on one person's income with exp- with extra money. So you could buy refrigerators and you could buy washing machines and you can buy all of this, like, n- newfangled technology that makes everyone's life easier and better but also puts greater expectations on women. Uh, and cleanliness, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> Sorry, it's just my own my own like soapbox. But it also means that things like cars become more accessible to people. They right. become, and then people are living in suburbs, so now they're living further away from city centres. They're living further away from their jobs, mm. so they need these cars to commute to work. And so, cars become a consumer good that needs to have a draw rather than something that is just made and given. And so, you start getting. Colors. You start getting pastel colors, as particularly as the big thing in the fifties. You get blues, pinks, greens in these cars. That horrible off yellow. How what dare were they you? doing? <laughs> but yeah, and so you get all, all their photos were in black and white, Sam. So you can't, <laughs> so you can't tell. <laughs> they couldn't tell from the ad. <laughs> That's not true in the slightest. But um, I was reaching for a joke, guys, and I landed on some shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> This is also the beginning. You can't win them all. <laughs> this is the beginning of the formation of NASCAR and the National Hot Rod Association as well. So you start getting more of a um, kind of cementing of sports cars and like racing cars and okay. shitbox rallies and all of that. The shitbox ship- rally. Shitbox rally is an Australian term for basically just like rally cars, which are just these like they're not designed to be sports cars. They're just regular cars that people. They're Kia Rios, basically. Shitbox rally. That's yeah, what so shitbox being a term for for, a, for those for who are a, not aware, an Australian mm. term for a car that is yeah. not just a bad car. It has to be like. A cheap car that is bad, like that has been that badly taken care of. You've, well. And you've you've driven it into the ground and now you've fucking put a big tank inside of it. <laughs> yeah. So, and the other thing that you see is that I think we spoke about this. When did we? We spoke about this in the tabletop gaming episode, the invention of the youth in the 50s. Yes. And oh, the idea right. that youth culture, this becomes so entwined with mm. cars because it meant that people could drive to see their friends and they had driving became a drive in theaters driving became a part of their culture and the driving and itself was an activity it wasn't yes. it wasn't even yeah. like i'm driving my friends to a place it was just we got in the car and went for a drive you know what's a really distinct part of that too is that like if your world is public transport you're you're leaving well, as soon as you leave the house you're in the public even if you're with friends like you're going on the train then you're walking through the town squares you are out then you're going to the milk bar right okay the, if, milk. the milk bar. I'm, I, hear me out. Okay. <laughs> and then, and if you leave the home and get into a car with your friends, you have not really left the home. You're kind of in this like private space. Mm. So yeah, it's an extension of your like home because you kind of own it, and it it has all the comforts of home in the sense that like it's probably got air conditioning, it's probably got a CD. Well, no, it's just like yeah. a big big monkey ape thing where it's just like you're carrying a piece of territory with you, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I generally feel this because um, I remember commuting, doing some long commutes for work, and. In the moment I got into the car, it was like, oh, you know, sigh, put your music on. Yeah. You're yourself again. I'm no longer, even though you're not at home, you're already on the way home in this little yeah, bubble of home. It's not so bad, even if it's a, like hour or two drive. Yeah, it's still kind of fun. Uh, well, and from a from a, another perspective, like I mentioned the tour bus in Paris before, it's kind of a similar thing where it's like, you're out in this foreign place, different place every day. You feel totally, you start to feel, by the end of a tour, you are disconnected from fucking reality. You're mm. insane. You don't belong anywhere. Uh, you're a stateless creature. Mm. But then like the minute that you step onto the bus, it's like, ah, here we are. This is home. You know, this is a uh, trans- little bubble of Australia yeah. where all of us are. And it's like, and then, you know, you step back outside into the crazy world again. So it's I kind of reflected in that same way there. So I think it's time for 
something of a, a science corner diversion, but this is a big science corner. This is like there, we've we've built a door into the science corner that opens into the science dome. <laughs> Where it, we, the, the observation dome, where a whole bunch of scientists are standing outside of the the, the one-way mirror glass and are witnessing what's going on inside, and we are the apes with the banana that is um, car Jim, engines. Jim, <laughs> you could have just gone with lifting the hood. No, oh yeah, oh. lifting the hood and looking inside the science engine. I like in you which said that side okay. there are uh, <laughs> infinite number of monkeys writing Shakespeare. Yeah. Okay, the, go on. <laughs> The science corner is so big <laughs> that Sam and I split it between us. Oh, fuck yeah. Because it would have been too much for our brains to really be able to do th- do this. So we've split it between combustion, how a combustion engine works. Yes. And how the fuck gears work. Okay. So we're going to start with the combustion engine. Yes. Because that tells you how cars work. And then the gears are sort of more of a subsection of that. Thank you for that. Thank you for being burp. So the combustion engine, which is what most cars are like now made to move with. Yes. That was very well. The internal yes. combustion engine or ice. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so it is essentially uh, controlled micro explosions. That's the short. Oh, fuck yeah. That's the short. Oh answer. my God. <laughs> so what, how does this work? So you have pistons. Most cars are four cylinder cars, which means there's four pistons that are moving. Inside and cylinders. In, inside cylinders. So the pistons yeah. move inside cylinders. The quad tubes. The quad tubes. Um, if you have like a V6, it's got six cylinders. If you've got a V8, the sex tubes. <laughs> it's got oh. eight cylinders. So the Mark One Benz patent motor wagon only had one little one little piston. cylinder, which is why it could only go ten miles per hour. <laughs> so while screaming. <laughs> so what I'm happens? I'm doing my best. Is you have, um, well, in the past you would have something like leaded fuel. So fuel with lead in it. Now we have yeah. unleaded fuel because of health. Because of serial killers, yeah. pollution mm-hmm. and all sorts of things. Um, so what happens is you have the pistons, they they move inside these cylinders. The piston f- drops down. That allows uh, some fuel in, mm-hmm. some hydrocarbons in. Then the piston gets pushed up. Through pushing up, that compresses the fuel at the top, which causes the spark. That spark then pushes the piston down. And then it gets oh. pushed up. And then it pushes it down. So the spark, I always wonder about this is like how it, how it becomes sustaining. Because obviously when you start a car, you go. Yeah, and you have a spark plug. It takes way too long. And then. It speaks volumes about your car. <laughs> Our car does not do that. I want to make that very clear. Our car is very happy. Um, and then it starts. I always wondered whether the sparks were just continually being shot at a, at a stream of petrol. Um, no, so like it's, a I mean, ship. because you can have. Because <laughs> you can have ignition ones. Okay. Where there's, there is like a spark that happens and so that it's not compression-based, it's ignition-based, mm. but most of them are compression-based because they're simpler to, okay. to manufacture. Interesting. And so what happens is then that process of essentially it being, um, it being pushed up and exploded down and pushed up and exploded down, that is connected to a crankshaft, which actually is a thing that moves um, the... The drive shaft. The drive shaft, which is the thing that moves the wheels. Okay. So the long, long boy going spinning down the bottom so of the car. Long boy that goes spinning down. In a four cylinder, you have the four um, pistons that go. They actually don't all do it at the same time. They cycle through, so it goes like one, 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 one. That's called a cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that whole thing shifts the the crankshaft and moves the drive shaft. The more cylinders, the greater your torque. So the greater like kind of like 
push effort you have, mm-hmm. the higher the horsepower. Now we've said the word horsepower. You made a joke about horses. I was like, is there? Is it horses? Are we when we say horsepower? Are we talking about? I mean, horses? It, it could have been anything. It could have been cow power. Like no, no, no. Like it, it is horsepower because of James Watt. James People mean James. <laughs> we, I've already done that joke, Jim. Ah, I've heard that too many times. Yeah. So James Watt, famously named after Watts in a light bulb because he was an inventor. I know um, it's in a light bulb. Fuck you. Hey. Samantha just gave me the finger, Podcast everybody. Podcast is over. Yeah, so this is I'm done. fired again. So he was... Um, Wait, so he was named after a light bulb? <laughs> so a unit of, <laughs> what are you telling us? So, so the people who invented the light bulb decided to name the unit of power in which to measure the light after him because oh, he right. was so famous and wonderful and brilliant. Wow. And not a Nazi. Can so I was just going to ask him. I was literally just going to go like, hey, just, just for my comfort and peace of mind, was he a Nazi? <laughs> he was not a Nazi. Thank fuck. He was around in the 18th century. He was a bit, he, maybe he would have been, but he wasn't around. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So... What did he do? He developed a new and improved steam engine, but he was basically trying to figure out a way to communicate the benefits of the machine to people for commercial production. And so he was like, how am I going to relate the efficiency of this, the amount of work that it can do, the sort of the effort and output it produces? How many chores it can do? So chores power. You need to stop. Oh, wow. (laughs) So what did he do? My job is to make bad jokes because it's all I can do. He (laughs) essentially was like, well, people see horse-drawn carts in mill houses. They use horses to grind, to move the mills. Mm -hmm. So like horses are a form of like energy output. They can see directly the effects of that. So he decided to calculate the power of a single horse. And when we say power, (laughs) we mean sort of like the um, force of push that, that a horse produces from moving a machine. And yeah. did, how, do you know how it was measured exactly? Like, was it because... I do. Oh. I do. Please tell us. Mm. Yes. So he observed mill horses turning a shaft oh. um, in, a, in a mill factory. So when I'm talking about mill, I'm talking about flour. Yeah. So they're grinding yeah. flour. Um, they, they were walking in a circle, which was a 20 foot, 24 foot diameter. And they did it about 144 times in an hour. And okay. so he did then some math, which I don't understand. Oh. Um, no, that's talk. Yeah. Of course, because torque is um, specifically power to turn a revolving. Yes. Thing. Right. <laughs> yes. Can we just call this whole system Mr. Ed? Is it a talking horse? What's up? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> cool. So each horse was then estimated to push with a force of 180 pounds. So then he calculated that one horsepower is one horse doing 33 foot pounds of work in one minute. I will explain this in a different way. Foot pounds. Oh, man. Foot pounds. <laughs> stompy stompy. Can you imagine if we just measured car power in foot pounds? Foot like, pounds is like before many? they invented pockets, it's where you kept your money in England. It was just like you slip <laughs> into the so what in is, your boot a foot pound. Fuck you. How so many stompies have you got One now? horsepower is the equivalent of a single horse raising a 33-pound bucket of water from the bottom of a thousand foot deep well <laughs> in 60 seconds. Oh, <laughs> this is just totally arbitrary. This is just insane. Yeah. Can we convert this to mule power? Like yeah. squid power. So the point that he's trying to basically give there is the fact that it's like, so it's the speed in which he's able to push weight from a height. It, it Like a horse is quite powerful. Mm-hmm. So we now measure a lot of our cars. and We still use this horsepower. How do you So know? it's just like it's an arbitrary equation oh, that Kia has Maria. just been labelled as horse. 
Yeah, because he he based it off horses. Because it's Remember, marketing. It's marketing. Because what year are we talking about? 18th century. I don't have an oh, exact 18th century. Year. Well, okay. it's just, it was so, after they invented the horse. Like yeah. even in, <laughs> even when we're talking like 1910 early car times, mm. the dominant mode of transport is horse. If you're in a city a street, it's horse shit. It's horses through the. Th- it's mm. hay. It's like. <laughs> Powered on hay. Some there's jobs. People live their whole life scooping shit as a job. Like that's the mode of transport. People so if you selling yeah, feet by the pound, horsepower would make sense to those people. To us, it seems insane. Yeah, yeah. and actually, if you remember, the first car um, that was invented was 0.8 horsepower. So it didn't. It had less power than a single horse. <laughs> so I, I guess like the 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 kind of misunderstanding of horsepower from people like myself who, who are confused uh, right now um, would have been like the power of how many horses would be attached to the front of your thing. Like that's the misunderstanding. Yeah, it's not- Whereas this is like there has been a mathematical equation yes. thing created yes. based on an observation of horses that has just become labelled horse. Yeah. However, In this it one is context. funny to imagine that the Kia Rio, Kia Rio sorry, has been... Uh, pulled by 110 horses this entire time. <laughs> yeah, so essentially he... Um, yeah, it was... A, like you said, it was, a, it was a marketing tool. Yeah, right. But it was effective, obviously, because we now cling onto it and it is one of the biggest marketing uh, kind of aspects of a car is like horsepower is one of those things that people talk about. Is there, people a, ho- talk is there about a brand talk? of car that has a horse as a logo or am I imagining? Ja- oh, um, Stats. Were you about to say Jaguar? Jaguar. Yeah, no, no, no. Mustangs. Mustangs. Mustang is a horse. Because yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I, knew, I could picture something in my mind's eye. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to talk, now that I've talk, spoken about the combustion engine, I just want to get to the back end of the car. So exhaust. Exhaust is pushed out through the pistons going up. They push mm. out exhaust. Exhaust is a combination of, I wrote it down somewhere, hydrocarbon, carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, and various nitrogen oxides. These all can cause acid rain. So catalytic converters were developed. So these are these are um, attached. They're like a box that's attached to your exhaust. You don't see it. It's like before the pipe that comes out at the end. Okay. It's um, a honeycomb structure filled with like platinum or palladium, which reacts with the waste metal and actually converts carbon monoxide into carbon dioxide and unburnt hydrocarbons into carbon dioxide and water. It's the car's colon. Sure. Okay. I yeah. like that. Well, because carbon monoxide is the one that's the real, real bad one in terms of old street pollution. Yes. Well, it, it used to be that if you're just on a street with cars in, in like 1974 or something, you're just choking to death. Essentially, like it's horrific. Amazing. Um, yeah. So, um, it's still not good, no. but it's less bad. We also have um, modern catalytic converters, a three-way one, so they also deal with the nitrous oxides as well. So we should be like, there's a lot of developments, and like fuel has also been. Um, refined and you can get like 98 and 95, which is like a more refined fuel that actually produces less hydrocarbons at the end because it burns more efficiently. So there's less pollution. Like we've trying to deal with these problems, but that's basically how a car goes from. Yeah, that's how from. Um, that's how how does drive? How does drive? Yeah. Well, you see the thing, the problem with that is, so if you just had what you just described and the engine is just spinning the drive shaft down the car, mm-hmm. which then through other mechanisms spins the axles and spins the wheels. Mm-hmm. If you just did that, the car would have extraordinarily little power because it would be the range of an internal combustion engine in revolutions is small. So now when we say revolutions per minute, you're thinking of the thing on the dash. Mm-hmm. So what it means it's referring to is how the, the engine shaft is actually turning, how fast it's turning. So it's revolutions per minute. Right. 
And a car basically can has a range of like, you know, most cars have a range from like, it's on and idling at like a thousand revolutions per minute or whatever. Okay. Yeah. And up to, yeah, one on the. I'm going to level thousand? with you. It's, I never look at it. <laughs> never not once. Well, in an automatic, it's like pointless. So yeah. Like in a manual, it's extremely useful. Um, but yeah, and it goes up to sort of six or seven. There's a red line saying, don't do any more of this. Stop right? that. So the way that you get uh, work out of a car. It really is through gears. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Cogs. Cogs. So, this is based off the wizardry of gears. So, basically, okay, to, to move the car, right? The car's stationary. And it's like your first driving lesson, they always say, hardest thing to do in a car is to move it if you're driving a manual <laughs> um, because it, it's uh, it's uh, tedious. But, um, but it's like the car is heavy and physics is against you. You've got this one ton thing and you've got to get it moving. So, the engine needs maximum torque. Torque being the amount of power that's making the, um, the uh, engine shaft spin. I know it, it might seem sort of pointless to spell this out, but T-O-R-Q-U-E, torque. I is was what about to do that as well. Because yeah. like, I mean, How, the Australian yeah. accent's pretty broad is all. Torque. Torque. Torque, <laughs> yeah. So actually, with the, the torque. R, it's sort of yeah. torque. Um, yeah, so basically there's an exchange that happens with gear. So like, p- picture the cogs in your mind. You've got a big cog and a little cog. If you have the little cog connected to the big cog and it's moving the big cog. So like mm-hmm. you imagine turning the little cog. Yeah. That big cog is now going to be turning uh, slower yeah. than the little, the little one is. Mm-hmm. But it's going to, if it's turning half as slow, it will be uh, carrying twice the torque. Okay. Uh, why? Uh, I don't <laughs> just like picture the cogs. Okay, it's probably just to do with the rotation, like the physics of rotation. I don't. But so we're um, just saying that the small one against the big one creates more power than vice versa. Yeah. So okay. first gear in a car, right? First gear in a car is actually the little one driving the big one. Right. This is the same in bicycles. Oh, the reverse of what I thought. Same in bicycles. Obviously, it's the same principle because it's the, it's the same physics going on. Right. Um, and so and then the the other way around is like you have a bigger uh, a driver input cog right the, yeah that's that's actually doing the movement attached to the engine and then you have the um driven cog and that's smaller that's now going to make it turn twice as fast but with half the power so that's okay. when you get up into fifth gear on the freeway or something you need the the shaft to be spinning really really fast you mm-hmm. need the engine to be getting that so much motion out of the gear mm-hmm. but um it won't have very much power that's why you can't go up a hill in fourth gear gotcha. or fifth gear okay right yeah yes um, okay yes that is making sense in my brain now. Yay. So yeah, like, yeah. And see, that's that sounds very nice and simple. Um, let's continue. So, oh, <laughs> so no. no, like, but if you do connect two cogs together, you'll notice that in your mind's eye, if you turn the little cog, the big cog will actually be going in the reverse direction. Whoopsies, that's not going to work. So you need cogs in, uh, in between. Like, yeah, series. To get it to go the same direction as the drive cog. <laughs> so you just, but you only would need like one. Why can't you? Yeah, just theoretically, you the only need one, one depending on the design. Uh, facing the other way. <laughs> just swap around. <laughs> just swap it. Make, um, make the cogs look in a mirror. So you put an idler cog in there. What's cool is, is that no, the idler cog can be any size. It doesn't matter. The same ratio will happen. So this is how you get gear ratios. But I don't get that. How is that possible? Because the thing is, if you've got the little one powering the big one, and that's the reason why the torque is big. I don't make the rules. <laughs> <Jim>. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. So, like, basically, if you actually look at a, um, especially a manual transmission, 
Um, you can see like the, the cogs and some great videos on this, including one from 1937 or something, which was actually the best one at explaining it. And it was hilarious because it was just like, here's how your car functions. Um, Good luck to you out there. <laughs> yeah. And, and basically there's, there's always one spinning and the clutch is sort of disengaging the, that uh, rod of cogs and putting it into a different position, essentially. And it's kind of seems kind of simple. Mm-hmm. Problem was, is that early on, they had to find a way of actually changing the gears because even with the clutch disengaging it, if you just put the cog of like third gear onto a uh, engine shaft that's spinning really fast, mm-hmm. it will go and make a horrible noise and like and grind against mm-hmm. it. Um, the reason why it doesn't is because of this amazing thing where there's this sort of um, like sort of ribbon device that they put around the cog that's sort of kind of like a cork going into a bottle mm, where okay. you squeeze and it tightens. It basically means that when the gear is engaged, the cog won't move until it's spinning at the same speed. Oh. So it's like a little bit of resistance that just goes and accelerates. Whoa. And that's how that's how gears can change, basically. Yeah, because otherwise it's just like metal on metal. Yes, the, the engineering metal. of this is yeah. just crazy. What about automatics? I want I don't I don't I know you don't want to talk about it. I tried, I tried everybody. I tried to understand <laughs> automatic transmission and I can't. There's like a thousand gears and they were like in a solar rotation and then some of them spin and some of them didn't, depending on this I don't want to talk it's, about it's it. It's all created in the pattern of sacred geometry. So it's just like <laughs> some engineer just doing so much DMT and then coming out to my like, I have this very good idea. Fun fact. Electric cars, I did not know this. Electric cars uh, don't need gears. Sorry, but they don't need more than one gear. Okay. Why? Why? What? Yeah, I was like, yeah, surely the same physics applies. But remember what I said at the beginning is that we're talking about revolutions per minute. Electric motors are an entirely different machine to an internal combustion engine, and they can get a much, much higher RPM, and they can sort of rev up, so to speak, to that like 1100 RPM or something. Because it's on off. Yeah, it's on off. It's not like so, developing power. It's oh. just go or not go. Yeah, and it's, yeah. Not, it's not like a chemistry reaction, which is kind of incomplete that has these like, kind of have these sort of like So you're not needing powers. the little pistons to go, oh, yeah. Yeah. shit. So <laughs> it's just like on, off. To I put love- it differently, the efficiency of high speed electric racing is the same, that high speed is the same as driving slowly. So it doesn't need more gears. Oh my God. Because it, it can just easily do it. Um, so like to put another way, like we have the gears in an internal combustion engine car because we're trying to, with this very small window of revolutions per minute that a combustion engine can create, get all of these different variations of power and speed while an electric car just kind of does it. It goes. Well, that explains because like, again, having been a passenger, I've never driven one, but having been a passenger in some pretty fancy electric cars, like they take off. Like if it, when they accelerate, it just goes whoop. Yeah. And it feels like you're in a spaceship for that reason. Um, and it makes a different noise as well. It makes like a kind of thing. <laughs> so I realize, like, there's a Formula E. Um, Formula E is an uh, electric racing. Huh. Electric drag racing. Anyway, so- um, Wait, drag racing? Oh, sorry. I don't know racing. Drag tracks. racing is different. It's different. Yeah. Okay, so anyway. Okay. Uh, <coughs> anyway, this is a very educational episode about cars, yes. Um, Formula E and the, one of the winners actually had was driving a single speed. No, one gear. One gear ratio. It's usually like eleven point four to one or something. Okay. So that um, is meaningless because it still has a gear, right? It's still got big cogs, small cogs, small cogs, big cogs. It's got like a bicycle, like a single speed bicycle. Oh, like a yeah, fixie. Yeah. yeah, like a fixie. Oh, but like you can actually you use imagine? gears. You can install gears in an electric car. Oh, that's good to know. Racing because oh. you can get even more torque out of the that first Jesus. acceleration. Mm. Wow. Pretty scary stuff. Wow, that is insanity. Electric cars really. 
are an interesting because like now that I know how an internal combustion engine works, I'm like I don't want to know how an electric engine works because yeah. it sounds like it's magic. Yeah, like I'm I'm willing to let that go. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> I don't need to know. I'm just because also like I feel like for me the best thing I can do right now is use my car as efficiently for as long as possible <laughs> so as to not waste the materials that are already being put into this vehicle. And then once cars e cars become more Once again, the utility approach to the whole thing rather yeah. than like, I want this really sexy, fancy well, thing. Well, because also, I mean, anyone, anyone who's in the sustainability space will tell you that the best thing you can do is be using your car as efficiently and for as long as possible than replacing it with an e-vehicle. Yeah. Can I talk about that for a second? Yeah, absolutely. The, like the e-vehicle thing as like the um, well, ecologically, you know, kind thing to do, you know, we're thinking like... I have heard a kind of devil's advocate point on that. Um, and it's like with salt, of course, because my, uh, this is my friend who likes the brop. As one of the justifications for doing that and preferring that, the argument is basically that it is yet again propaganda from mass industrial polluters that it's our job as individuals <laughs> to fix the fucking, you know, the world and mm. all of the, the, you know, climate change shit by going, you need to take personal responsibility and change from your internal combustion engine to do an electric car. You need to be responsible for all the recycling. You need to do mm. all that when it's just like the vast majority of pollution comes from industrial pollution and they refuse to change and governments refuse to hold them accountable. Mm, so we it's know like, the eight companies. So I was <laughs> like, that is, that is the frustrating part of it that it's just like, Everything we do as individuals matters. It absolutely does. I'm, I, we recycle. I want to move to an electric vehicle. I want to do everything I can. As impotent as it might be, <laughs> given that like the, the polluters are the ones who are you know, doing the, the, the damage. Whereas like, and so like hearing that argument, of course, once again, from somebody that's really passionate about the brap, so it's kind of like the salt. But at the same time, it's like, it did make me kind of go guilt someone less for wanting to do that. Mm. when the biggest change could be made by fucking legislation yeah. and preventing these people from doing it. And that's just not being done. And, and what I'm being guilted as an individual for fucking, for not doing everything I can. This is my biggest frustration with these conversations and anybody who is promoting e-vehicles as the immediate solution to these problems are often like tech people right. or they're these they're like these tech utopians who are not really thinking long term they're thinking like this is a good thing but they're not kind of considering the waste as a result of those transitions right, right? cuz like the, the other there's two elements of sustainability which we're going to talk about in another episode yeah. but just in cars particularly there are people who are sustainability experts who are saying no 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 the best thing that people should be doing right now is using the things that they have as long as you Drive possibly can. Drive it into can. the fucking ground. Redu yeah. Reduce is the first thing. Mm. Because manufactured, people think about just the use of stuff of like cars. Yes. But like the manufacture of it is a really important part. So for example, like if you're buying a new car, someone has manufactured and the amount of uh, sort of emissions and obviously wasteful resources and stuff that happens when you replace a car is immense. Also, it's worth saying that electric cars aren't perfect like this. Batteries are not great for mm. the environment. And also their cars are actually heavier. Because right. of the way electric motors are. Okay. So they actually produce more sort of like a ground emission in terms of like dust and, and things like that. So like okay. th there's lots of factors that's going on here and they're still made of the um, same chrome materials. Mm. Material they should be the making them out of carbon fiber. I don't know why they're not. 
<laughs> I don't know why they're not. We were just talking about how the electric car was invented before the internal yeah, combustion. Yeah, but I, I do think that, like, that, and I, that I suppose is the, is the issue, right? Is, like, there is, like, we're also seeing the fact that these early adopters, these early companies who have developed e-vehicles are now having these massive manufacturing problems, but also the cars are not as, they're not working the way they're meant to, the way that right. they were dreamed of. Mm, like, I'm pretty yeah. sure Tesla's done recalls on some of their vehicles. Yeah. Because they... They, it's almost like we we literally put the cart before the horse in this. Like yeah, they, because of yeah. corners be, cut and eagerness to. They get were just into trying to get and, this out yeah. rather than really kind of thinking about the most like long term safe and functional and exactly. Positive way of it's doing like it. that utility is not mm. something. It's almost something that we're ignoring. And like Tesla is a core example of this because they went for that sports mm. kind of luxury car situation, yeah. and we're not really getting on any everyday cars in the because, e-space. Because once again, it's like you, you were talking just now, like the, a great example of the people that are the, the biggest proponents of, of pushing for the electric car now are usually like tech people and people that are passionate about that. But because, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? No. But, the, the, but because they are those people, that is kind of like the tech guy equivalent of the rich person wanting the fancy, sexy car. It's the thing that appeals to them on an emotional level. It's the thing that appeals to them on like a passion level. It's just like, I want my brap or I want my fancy fucking spaceship car because the future is now and that's the guy that I want to be. Mm. You know, and, and like, again, both of those things are good. Yeah. Having passions, having interests, both of those things are really, really good. But it's the hypocrisy of like, mass-produced shit and mm. industrial polluters saying that both of, like that both of those guys are bad because like the tech guys are getting the guilt from like the big business that has been built around the industry of petroleum and yeah. and, and, mm. and all of that and then the the guys who like the brap are you know getting guilt from the tech guys because they're not doing anything else when really we've been made to argue amongst ourselves about <laughs> this instead of you know rising up and seizing the means of production complex. yes <laughs> but yeah, like one thing as well is like if you think about like so many of the problems we associate with cars are to do with the way cars fit in our urban environments and in cities. And like the thing I was talking about with the, the car park becoming the center of town. That and is one of the most depressing things you've said on this podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. This must um, be a like, positive podcast. There was a the whole chunk is- of this episode that was about Nazis and that's worse. <laughs> <laughs> but like on the positive side as well, it's like, you know, this is a machine that's like really radically changed the way people can move around. That sounds kind of obvious, but like think about like, especially out of this sort of big city mm-hmm. and like into small towns where like, you know, if you're living in regional areas, cars are just how you can get around. And there's really no alternative. There's to actually probably a really good point to be made here that like this podcast is being recorded in Australia. Yeah. Now, our, we have, I think the Perth, and again, correct, fact check me on this guys, but I think that Perth in Western Australia might be the most isolated city in the world. I think it, if, <laughs> if, just, if, if it's not the most isolated city in the world, it's one of them. It's close. It's pretty, um, yeah, it's like, yeah, fuck all nowhere. You know, it, it, and again, to bring this back to, to touring, because this is like my only field of expertise. If, we, if we're on the tour bus and we're touring Europe, um, you know, we're driving between cities. And this blew my mind the first time we went over there. You know, you're driving between cities and we're talking three to four hours mm. of driving. And you're in not only a different country, but in a different fucking world ever the language is different sometimes the currency is different the culture is entirely different for us to drive from brisbane to sydney you know if you're taking pee breaks we're talking 12 and a half hours of driving like 
And that's to go from one Australian city to another Australian city that's kind of the same, except people are a bit meaner. <laughs> it's like that, that is the difference. So it's like we have such a vast distance to cover, even to get between metropolitan hubs. Yeah, and we're just talking let about the alone there. country yeah. towns and things like that. It's just, it is motor vehicles that has allowed Australia to function as a modern country. There is no other way. Yeah, because railway was very, like, that's a difficult, if you look at a map of Queensland, specifically our state, mm. Um, and just sort of go like, if you get that distance in your head of what what what, what it really looks like in drive time, mm-hmm. and then kind of look west, <laughs> and you go like, we're going to drive to Longreach, um, and it's called Longreach for a reason, because um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fuck all nowhere. <laughs> yeah. uh, it is actually quite close to fuck all nowhere. Have you ever been? To <laughs> no, fuck I've all never nowhere? been. I have. Yeah, it's me lovely. neither, and no one else also. Yeah, uh, I imagine that it's nice. Uh, but this this is my point: is that like. Motor vehicles have obviously, and as we've sort of talked about, shaped modern life in, on a global scale for better and worse, um, and in a lot of ways better than worse. So I, I think that it's like it's a really confusing topic to talk about when we're talking about things that are, are, are positive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we want to take a positive thing away from this, and I feel like I have, but like I think the, the big takeaway is to, to go like, be passionate about the things that you are passionate about, but like try and do everything you can as an individual to make the world better. But remember that it's like, it is not beholden to you to fix climate change. It's beholden to you to be a better person because wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) But like, don't allow these fucking polluters and these fucking big businesses to tell you that you're responsible and they don't have to do jack shit. Mm. Hold your fucking politicians responsible. Fucking, you know, vote in a way that you think is actually going to create meaningful change in this because it's really fucking hard. Fuck yeah, comrades. So that the 1974 report on electric cars can finally be ratified. Finally find its way into the real life. (laughs) Thank you guys for joining us for another episode. It's been a fucking delight. And I'm happy to rant at you about socialism at some point. (laughs) But yeah, there's been a couple of times tonight where we've talked ad hoc. So feel free to fact check us. Send a uh, message to us on Instagram at the Music and Everything podcast if you want. We would love to be corrected. We would love to hear from you guys. We've got more to come very, very soon. But for now, it's goodbye from me and these beautiful Sams. Goodbye, friends. Bye. Bye. Take care of each other and we will talk to you soon.